Do you have the power to guide an entire race to safety? Well, let's find out with Lemmings this week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of the Upper Memory Block podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe, and we are back once again to talk about a game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. Well, it has been a busy summer for me thus far. The show, as I'm almost starting to say, as usual, is uh, is once again uh, a week late. Uh, as some of you, I, I guess I posted on, on Facebook and, and stuff like that. Last week, I was in, uh, I was in New York City. For uh, for a course, I learned how to do some uh, very fancy things with Amazon Web Services and uh, and cool work related stuff like that. I had a really really great time. Uh, not only on the course, but uh, it's really the first time I had spent any amount of time in uh, in New York City. So uh, you know, course ran from nine to five, and then after that, I kind of tooled around the city and uh, and saw some stuff, and and I met up with some uh, some former coworkers, some friends down in uh, down in Tribeca, and uh, my wife came up on. Thursday evening. And so, you know, we, uh, while I was in course Thursday and Friday, she kind of tooled around the city her on her own. And then we spent the weekend together seeing what there is to see, you know, Rockefeller Plaza, Times Square, Staten Island Ferry, all, all that, all that fun stuff. And, um, really all, uh, <laughs> all this trip to New York made, uh, made me do was, uh, was want to go back and see more. So, um, so yeah, so that's why the show's a little late. Aside from that, we've had all kinds of fun uh, plumbing issues. I'm currently sitting in a house that has no water because there is a water main break at the corner of my street. Uh, Toronto Water is uh, is there with a truck, and um, hopefully it'll be back up and running in time for me to, uh, I don't know, go to the bathroom and, and take a shower. I have a utility sink in the basement currently filled with water, and there's a bucket next to it, so uh, we'll see. <laughs> hopefully I won't have to take too much part in any of that. But uh, yeah, enough about that. Uh, let's get on to the news, because surprisingly, there's a lot to say this week about the topic. So, news. A few weeks ago, GOG.com launched GOG.com slash indie, which is uh, kind of their indie game developer portal. Uh, this allows indie developers to submit their games to GOG for sale. Uh, it looks like a, a small answer to Steam's Greenlight service. Definitely not on the same, at least as far as I could see, not on the same scale as, uh, as Steam Greenlight, but uh, they promise things like advances on royalties, feedback on games, and uh, featured advertising on GOG's main page and on their social media. So uh, I guess we'll see if this takes off. I haven't heard a ton about it aside from GOG's initial announcement, but um, yeah, we will definitely see where it goes. Next, uh, getting back a few episodes now to, uh, to Dungeon Keeper. It appears that Mythic and EA are going to be releasing a new version of Dungeon Keeper for both iOS and Android platforms, and maybe even uh, WebOS, but I'm not sure about that one. Uh, it will maintain the original gameplay of Dungeon Keeper with updated graphics and, uh, and a few kind of uh, online elements where you could play either with or against your friends. Uh, the scary thing about this is uh, we're told it will be free to play with in-app purchases. Hopefully EA will not stay true to form and uh, will be able to maintain a balance between uh, charging for things and making a lot of money and 
you know, not gouging us with pay to win and uh, actually making a fun game. I'll keep you posted and uh, I'll definitely give this a download when it releases later this year, especially seeing that uh, that it's free. We had quite the little debate on the Facebook group over this. Uh, you know, anytime uh, EA comes up in relation to uh, to our beloved older franchises, people tend to get a little bit worried just because of EA's track record of doing things that are, uh, you know, not really in the best interest of players. But uh, yeah, I guess we will see about that. In XCOM news, uh, the new XCOM game uh, called uh, The Bureau XCOM Declassified has released. It's available on Steam for $49.99 US and uh, is receiving, I guess we can call them middling reviews thus far. I think it has a 66% on Metacritic, though uh, Metacritic has its own set of issues. But uh, I haven't gotten around to playing it. I probably won't pick it up until it's on a pretty uh, pretty deep sale. But uh, if any of you have played it, please drop me a quick review to, uh, to podcast at umbcast.com or post it on the Facebook group or something like that. I would really love to hear um, you know, how this long-storied XCOM game that uh, you know I believe development on this, if I remember back to the two XCOM episodes I've done now, now this version of XCOM kind of started development before uh, the last version, XCOM Enemy Unknown, and uh, kind of went into hiatus or whatever you want to call it, into development hell for a little while, uh, got retooled, came back as the Bureau. And, uh, you know, the premise seems really cool. I like the whole idea that it's it's the 60s, it's the Cold War, and uh, and all that, but uh, hopefully the gameplay is, uh, isn't, isn't all that bad. Next, in unfortunate SimCity news, more unfortunate SimCity news, uh, the Mac client released last week after, I believe, a two-month delay. It was supposed to come out... I guess in June, end of June, and it's now, well, it's now September, but I guess it came out in at the end of August. Uh, and guess what? It launched with issues. Surprising. Uh, the game had issues running on OS 10.7.4, which I believe, if I look at my Mac, is the current version of OS 10. Uh, it had trouble scaling to full Retina resolution on, uh, on Retina Macs. And uh, on top of that, the game experienced issues launching via Origin. Uh, Origin was kind of giving uh, registration errors, saying the game wasn't uh, wasn't authentic, even though it was. And, you know, this is sad. I really did stand up for SimCity for a long time, and I do still stand by my review that I did when the, when the game first came out, that at its core, it's a fun game, but EA keeps kind of just bungling things with this game over and over again. It's like they just... Obviously, they're not going out of their way to do a bad job, but sometimes it almost seems like they are. Um, if anything, at this point, I'm more interested to see uh, what the what the team of senior devs that left the SimCity uh, development group uh, is going to come up with with their new company. Finally, for the news, uh, in Star Citizen news, Robert Space Industries has released a small playable pre-alpha module, and uh, and I have given it a little test drive. Uh, they've released what is known as the hanger module to uh, to certain to backers of a, of a certain level, of which luckily I am one. Uh, the hanger is uh, is basically where in the game you're going to uh, select which ship you're going to fly and uh, and launch it. I'm not sure if this is where any customizations will take place uh, and things like that. I was able to download and install it, and uh, I guess there was an initial kind of big rush to log in and see, so I wasn't able to. Uh, the install went no problem, but then. There was, you know, there were login timeouts and all that, just like like we're used to with games like SimCity, like I, I just talked about. Um, but I guess uh, one day later, after the big rush, I was able to log in. Uh, there isn't much here to begin with. Uh, based on my pledge level, I pledge level, 
I have access to a small hangar and uh, my, I guess it's a bounty hunter ship, the Origin 300i. Uh, the graphics look nice. It's, uh, I believe it's CryEngine 3. Uh, I can run around the hangar. I can enter my ship, sit in the pilot seat. And, uh, you know, there's definitely still some bugs. For example, you could get into your ship from, or at least my ship, you could enter from, from both sides of the cockpit. And uh, I opened a door on one side. And then when I tried to exit my ship, my, my dude actually got out of the ship from the other side where the door was closed. So he climbed on an invisible ladder through the, through the hatch and down to the floor. But, uh, you know, they, they say this, uh, the, the RSI guys say this right off the bat. They say, this is pre alpha. This is a very much a preview. You know, there's a lot to be done. There's going to be bugs. We're just, you know, trying to give something to people. And, you know, some people are complaining, Oh, what is this? This is crap. This is all there is. What a piece of junk. But I mean, this is development. They put out a tiny little piece to give us a flavor of, of the world that, you know, has barely gone through testing and you know i'm frankly at this point i'm impressed it, it just made me more excited about uh, about star citizen and uh and i look forward to uh to hopefully getting more very very soon all right so before we get to uh to the main topic i have uh one email to read uh, at this point a couple more later but uh We'll get an email from regular emailer Andreas, and he writes, Good day, Joe. I have never heard of Master of Orion until today. Actually, the way you talked about it reminded me a lot of XCOM. I understand they're very different games, but I recognize the feelings of getting new tech and the always one more turn thing. Also, how it's an old game that's not too well known, but seems to be adored by everyone who does know it. It sounds like a really awesome game. I only played Lemmings once, actually. I was 10 years old and visited a friend who had it on Game Boy. I filled around a bit, not really understanding the game, and then figured out you could make your lemmings explode. Mass murder ensued, and there was much rejoicing. A well, great email, Andreas, and um, and yeah, you know, like I guess for me, the whole Master of Orion thing was the same, but the opposite. I had heard of Master of Orion, but I hadn't really ever played it much. It wasn't a game that I I ever had the opportunity to come across, either because. I was playing something else when it came out, or I don't know, I guess at, at that time, my parents wouldn't give me the money to uh, to buy it, or I just wanted to play other things at the time. And um, and yeah, I guess a lot of games, you know, being that it's a different game than XCOM uh, genre-wise, but it still does have that progression of technology that that a lot of games do, do have. And it does have that one more turn thing, like Civilization, like XCOM, like you know, World of Warcraft, one more quest, one more this, one more that. And it, it is it is really quite a great game. And as for Lemmings, yes, we will talk quite a bit about uh, about mass murder in a second. Thank you, as always, for the email. And if you guys have anything to say, even if it's not entirely related to uh, the game we're currently talking about, you can, as always, drop an email to podcast at umbcast.com. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for All right, on to the main event, Lemmings. The Lemmings series consists of at least six games, I guess we could say, and uh, and two official spinoffs. The first game, simply entitled, as usual, Lemmings, came out in 1991. It was developed by DMA Design and published by Psygnosis. Now, you may not recognize the name DMA Design right off the top of your head, especially if you're uh, if you're slightly younger, but uh, they are in fact still around. They became Rockstar North, who would go on to create the uh, the Grand Theft Auto series. So if you're a fan of GTA, this should be an interesting contrast. And in fact, now that I think about it, 
DMA Design did create the first two GTA games, and I think GTA 3 was the first game that was uh, developed by Rockstar North. But enough about uh, a Grand Theft Auto, that's definitely outside of the purview of this show. So let's talk about Lemmings and its genre. Lemmings is an action puzzle game. Uh, We've talked about puzzle games before with The Incredible Machine. Puzzle games focus much less on story, action, and other traditional game tropes and concentrate much, much more on direct and literal problem solving. Sometimes you're left to your own pace to solve problems. In other cases, you're put under some kind of time constraint, either a timer or a steadily worsening situation or something like rising water or any anything like that. Uh, in most cases in, uh, in puzzle games, you are also provided with a specific tool set with which to solve problems. This may consist of the ability to manipulate objects in the environment in some way, add parts or pieces to the world, uh, which perform various functions, or you know some other kind of tropey thing like that. Uh, puzzles usually follow a preset series of increasing difficulty levels. In addition, puzzles usually congregate around one or more central themes. These themes can group puzzles by type of solution, type of environment, or basically any other common factor you can think of. So that's an overview of puzzle games. But not only is Lemmings a puzzle game, it is an action puzzle game. So an action puzzle game forces the player to solve puzzles in real time. Think of it as the RTS of puzzle games. Uh, You don't don't really have the time to sit and consider your moves or which approach may be best. Time is ticking and you need to figure things out quick. So that's that for the genre. Now, at this point, I know we usually do talk story. Uh, To be perfectly honest here, there isn't one. The story section of the manual sort of takes you through a children's book kind of storyline which is more of an example of gameplay than an actual story, but I'll try and articulate it here. So lemmings are small, green-haired, pink-skinned creatures dressed in blue. Uh, They are also not very intelligent. It appears that left to their own devices, they will follow the lemming in front of them, even off a cliff or into a pit of boiling lava. Uh, You assume the role of the first lemming, which is basically the lemming with no other lemming in front of him. Uh, You bravely take point, leading your lemming brothers to safety. That's that's kind of it, I guess, for uh, for the story, at least such as it is uh, in the game manual. You are listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So, with that complex and compelling storyline in mind, let's talk gameplay. Uh, while the manual tries to cast us as one of the lemmings, we we honestly really aren't. We're more like the benevolent god of the lemmings, kind of saving them from themselves. So being that this is a puzzle game, uh, we're informed of the goal right from the start. As I mentioned back in the the pseudo-story section there a second ago, uh, the lemmings in this game are not very smart. Your goal as the powerful force hovering above the lemmings is to help them get from the entrance point on one part of the map to the exit on another. Sounds simple enough, right? Well, initially it is. In fact, initially it's very simple, but that changes pretty quickly. Now, there's two major game modes in uh, in the original Lemmings, and in fact, uh, there's only one game mode in the original PC version, but I'm going to talk about both of them. Uh, one player and two player. So for the moment, we'll focus on, uh, on the primary gameplay mode, one player, uh, and we'll use the first level as an example. It's very, very straightforward, but uh, it gives you a good idea of the basic gameplay mechanics. So you're presented with the game screen containing the current map. 
There's a trap door in the upper part of the screen surrounded by, completely surrounded by earth. On the lower part of the screen over to the right, there's an exit door sitting kind of on a lower level. So everything begins and this sound plays. And as soon as that happens, lemmings start dropping from the trap door and doing what we will soon see is exactly what the lemmings always do. They start walking. Uh, in this case, we aren't in any huge rush. Uh, the lemmings will keep walking in a straight line until they either fall off an edge or hit an obstacle they can't get past. In this case, they simply turn around and start walking the other way in kind of this enclosed earth ball that they're, uh, that they're walking around in. Uh, lemmings can also walk through other lemmings, so uh, the only obstacles at the moment are the environment. So the only thing we have to worry about right now is the clock. Yes, lemmings has a timer. Uh, each level has a set time limit, and if you don't save a sufficient number of lemmings before the time runs out, you fail. So we've got lemmings wandering back and forth, and the time is ticking. Let's take a look at our tool set. Being the first level, we aren't given a ton of options. Along the bottom of the screen, we have a series of 12 icons. This is our tool set for saving our poor little lemmings lives. Uh, on the far left, we have a plus and a minus button with numbers over them. This lets you control the uh, rate of flow of lemmings into the level. Adding more value uh, increases it. You can always increase uh, the flow value to 99 and the minus decreases it. And uh, you can, depending on the level, you can only decrease the flow of lemmings to a preset minimum value. So you can never fully stop the lemmings from coming in. On the far right of the toolbar, we have two more buttons, a set of paw prints, which represents pause. Now you can pause the game to give yourself some time to study the level and, uh, and think about how you're going to approach things, but you can't actually do anything when the game's in pause mode. You can't assign tasks or anything like that. That can only happen when, uh, when the game's actually running. And then the rightmost button on the toolbar, toolbar button number 12, I guess we can call it, is, uh, is the, contains the icon of a, a mushroom cloud. Uh, naturally, this button is named Nukem, which may or may not be a reference to Duke Nukem, but who really knows? Uh, this, of course, sets all your lemmings on a five-second timer countdown to death. When uh, And when that five seconds is up, every single lemming blows up. So the other eight buttons in the middle, though, is, is kind of where the real fun lies, unless you just like blowing up lemmings, like Andreas. Uh, <laughs> here, uh, here we have all the different jobs that you can assign to individual lemmings. Uh, they consist of, from left to right, climber, floater, bomb, blocker, builder, basher, miner, and digger. So each job has a counter above it, indicating how many times you can assign that job during the level. If the counter reads zero, you don't have access to that job. In this first level, all we've got is 10 diggers. So that kind of dictates how we're going to resolve this level. In addition to that, the name of the level can give you some hints. In this case, it's just dig, which again lets us know digging may be the solution here. So, you know, what's that saying? Uh, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Well, all we have are diggers, so everything looks like dirt. So we select the digger and click on a lemming. Uh, the lemmings are pretty small. They're actually only eight by eight pixels. So uh, it's actually a bit challenging initially to select the lemming that you want. Once you do though, he starts digging straight down. Now, you can leave that single lemming digging, but we're on a time limit here. Uh, there's no penalty for using up all your diggers, so hey, assign nine more. They'll all keep digging until they get through into open air. Once that happens, they simply revert back to default walkers. 
So uh, the lemmings fall through the hole and walk out the exit in the bottom right of the screen. Success! You've completed your first puzzle and most likely saved 100% of the lemmings. Each level has a separate percentage requirement for success. Uh, I believe this first puzzle requires at least 95% of the lemmings to get through, but honestly, that isn't really a huge challenge. So that's really how each level goes. Uh, The only change is steadily increasing difficulty of puzzles and the opening up of more of the job types. Now, each job has its own way of functioning and kind of specific foibles. Uh, We've already talked about the digger, and uh, the digger has two other types of jobs that are related to it, and these are kind of the the digging jobs. Uh, The basher basically digs a tunnel horizontally instead of vertically by by bashing through a, a, a destructible wall with big fists. The miner digs a tunnel diagonally, diagonally, can't talk today, diagonally and downwards. So uh, instead of a vertical pit like the digger, uh, we have an angled tunnel that the lemmings can walk down instead of plummeting potentially to their dooms. These three types all behave in the same manner. A lemming will perform their assigned digging task until such a time as they emerge into open air or if they hit an indestructible material, or have their job changed to blocker, builder, or a different digging skill. Now, pay attention to that open air comment. I learned this the hard way on another early level. If a lemming hits open air, the job ends. What this also means is that if you assign a lemming to be a basher, and there's nothing immediately in front of them to bash, The job immediately ends wasting that assignment. I burned through quite a few bashers until I figured that out. So those were the digging skills. Another group of skills are referred to as the athletic skills. These are the climber and the floater. The climber will climb vertical surfaces uh, until it hits an overhang, at which point it will fall. A floater will deploy an umbrella as it falls to protect against a falling death. Now these two skills can be assigned alongside other skills and even alongside each other, and they last the entire level. A lemming will use either climbing or floating when it is needed. A lemming that has both of these skills is known as an athlete. Now, the three other skills are more self-contained. The builder builds a diagonally rising stairway of 12 bricks. Once they've laid 12 bricks, a warning sound is played for uh, for the last three bricks. So not once they've laid, but when they've laid nine bricks, a warning sound is played, allowing you to either reassign the skill to that same lemming or give it to a different lemming. Otherwise, a lemming will stop building if, uh, if they hit an obstruction, such as a vertical wall that doesn't, make them, uh, doesn't allow them to build any further out, or if they hit the ceiling. The blocker stops and stands with both arms out, stopping lemmings from passing. This is the only time a lemming is considered an obstacle. Uh, this skill cannot be canceled. The only way to get rid of a blocker is to kill them, which is a little bit morbid, but you know that's, that's the game. Finally, the most morbid one of all, we have the bomber. A bomber will continue what it's doing for five seconds and then explode. Not only that, but they'll take any destructible objects around with them as well. This comes in handy when you want to make a hole in something or you just want to get rid of a straggling blocker or if you want to cancel a blocker so that lemmings can actually pass through where they were. You can't cancel this skill, but if a lemming dies, say he falls off a cliff or something before the five second counter ends, obviously he will not explode. I'm saying he, I don't know why I assume all the lemmings are male. Maybe it's because they're all dumb, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm saying he, but you know, there may be girl lemmings. I don't know. And I'm not being sexist or anything like that. Now the original game contained 120 single player levels spread across four difficulty levels. They are known as fun, tricky, taxing, and mayhem. 
So as you move through the game, uh, you know, difficulties go up, which basically mean time, means time limits go down, available jobs get cut, minimum le- lemming flow rate goes up. Everything you'd think could get harder does get harder. Now, in two-player mode, which uh, I'll talk about uh, reasoning behind uh, the two-player mode in a bit, but uh, in two-player mode, you're presented with a split-screen view of the same map where two sets of lemmings are falling. Each player could only select their own lemmings, and uh, the winner was the player who saved the most lemmings in the level. Two-player mode was not available on the original PC version, only on the Amiga and the Atari ST. Now, the reason for this, which which I'll get into, as I said, in a bit more detail later, is uh, that it took advantage of the Amiga's ability to support two mice simultaneously, and the Atari ST's ability to support a mouse and joystick keyboard simultaneously. So that's about it for gameplay. Let's move on. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for... So as I said in the the story section, where I usually talk about story in the story section and there isn't any, uh, in the tech focus, we usually talk about system requirements for the game, and I am going to do that. But um, based on my research and reading the game manual, which, you know, where the system requirements are usually very clearly laid out, uh, Lemmings manual is is a little bit confusing in this regard. So Lemmings ran on, uh, on the Amiga and the Atari ST, as I've already mentioned. If you had one of those machines, you popped in the disc, you went. No problem. The game ran. The confusion, a little bit at least, comes with the PC version. Now, they don't really list what system requirements are, are you know, what, what the system requirements actually are anywhere in the game documentation. They're very detailed instructions on installing and launching the game. You know, once you install the game in the C colon slash lemmings directory, put the game disk in drive A, type CD lemmings, and uh, hit enter, and then type lemmings again to launch. So hooray. Once you do that, though, there's a selection where you can choose your machine type. Now, option one is PC compatibles and Tandy. This option is apparently good for any type of PC, so I'm figuring... The minimum requirement is an 8087, you know, IBM PC or better. Seems pretty low to me for a game that came out in 1991, but I'll accept that. The second option is high performance PCs, and which the manual considers a 386 with EGA or VGA graphics. Finally, the third option is specifically for IBM PS2s, which apparently had a special high performance mode that I knew nothing about. Uh, If anyone out there had a PS2, I did not. So uh, if anyone did, let me know what the deal is, what this high performance mode was. I did have a friend with a PS2, but uh, we never really talked about it. A second odd note I want to make about Lemmings, and I guess which is somewhat tech related, is uh, again from the game manual. The developers of the game seem to have a very strange fixation on viruses. On the table of contents page, a big virus warning appears and it reads as follows. So it starts off all in caps, VIRUS WARNING! And then goes on to say, This product is guaranteed by Psygnosis to be virus-free. Psygnosis Limited accepts no responsibility for damage caused to this product through virus infection. Please see page 20 of this manual for details. 
To avoid virus infection, always ensure that your machine is switched off for at least 30 seconds before trying to load this game. Please see page 20 for more information regarding viruses and your warranty. So page 20 goes on in greater detail about how the warranty covers physical defects of game discs, but no damage caused by these supposed viruses. Now, I do realize that viruses were an issue, and they certainly could damage data on, on you know, 3.5 inch or 5 and a quarter discs, but I've never come across such a, such a big and prominent warning in any game that I can remember. Just kind of a very odd thing that, that jumped out at me in a, in a game that doesn't, uh, doesn't have a ton of, of really cool technical information attached to it. Uh, you know, with that in mind, I, I, I do usually talk about graphics in more detail in this section. It seems like I'm all out of whack on this episode, you know, like Lemmings doesn't seem to fit in my structure. So I usually talk about graphics in this section, but I'm going to save that for the dev story as the graphics play a very big role in the development of the game. So I'll get right into the music. The music in Lemmings was created by Brian Johnston, the younger brother of the game's artist, Scott Johnston. Not Scott Johnson, the guy from Extra Life, Scott Johnston who is also a, uh, an artist for some reason, and uh, I made that mistake initially, but uh, definitely Scott Johnston, the, uh, the Scottish man. So the music was in MIDI format, and Johnston used uh, sampled bits of copyrighted music in quite a few of the tracks. Now up to this point, use of copyrighted music in games really hadn't been an issue, but awareness of music copyright was growing in the gaming industry at the time. Cygnosis uh, saw this, didn't really love it, and uh, went to their in-house composer, Tim Wright, and asked him to throw something together to replace the infringing tracks. Now, to ensure that there would be no legal issues, Wright rearranged some classical and, uh, and traditional folk music which had fallen into the public domain. This way, there could be no copyright issues. Uh, this is what led to the very familiar music tracks of the game, including music from Offenbach, The Nutcracker, Swan Lake, and other folk songs like She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain and How Much Is That Doggy in the Window. Woof woof. Uh, you know, if you ever played Lemmings, the music, well, it is not very original, is definitely very, very memorable. listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for So, dev story time. So, Lemmings was created by a little company called DMA Design. DMA Design was founded by David Jones, Russell Kay, Steve Hammond, and Mike Daly in Dundee, Scotland. Uh, the four members had all met at a, at a computer club called the Kingsway Amateur Computer Club. Uh, they pulled the name DMA right from the Amiga programming manuals where it stood for Direct Memory Access. The company was founded sometime in 1987 with the beginnings of their first game, Menace. Now, Menace was a fairly standard scrolling shooter where you'd take on hordes of enemies and gather power-ups as you went along. It released in 1988 fairly good reviews. A year later, in 1989... DMA had just moved into their first real office, which was basically two small rooms above a, uh, a baby store in Dundee. Uh, they were starting work on an interesting game called Walker. DMA had just hired a new artist named Scott Johnston, and uh, he had been given the task of creating the art for Walker. Now, in Walker, 
you controlled a big mech style walker which would walk across the screen being that it's a walker and uh, and destroy enemies in sort of a side-scrolling shooter so johnston began work on the art which included enemy units for the walker to attack he was going to draw these enemies in a 16 by 16 pixel box which uh which again was fairly a fairly standard way to go about things programmer mike daly thought this was very unnecessary. He maintained that it could be done in half the size, in an 8x8 pixel box. So Daly, to prove his point, borrowed an Amiga and uh, at lunch one day started messing around. He created a stiff little man with red skin, blue hair, yellow arms, and gray pants. He then animated many little men and had them walking in a row along the bottom of the screen. Higher up on the screen, he had another row of them walking onto a conveyor belt and being crushed by a 10-ton weight. Another member, Gary Timmons, uh, added two hands crushing the little men together, a big mouth eating them, and a device catapulting them off the edge of the screen. Basically, this whole demo was was these little dudes being being killed in various ways. Uh, Timmons also revised the little 8x8 characters, giving them a little more bounce to their step, making their hair flip a little, and generally making them appear less stiff than, uh, than the original done by Daly. So aside from everyone getting a laugh out of the animation and proving Daly's point, no one thought much of it. Everyone that was, except programmer Russell K. He looked at the animation and exclaimed, there's a game in that, except he probably said it in a Scottish accent, which I will not try and imitate. In addition to Walker, another game was nearing completion called Blood Money. Blood Money was, yet again, another scrolling shooter. Uh, Developers were discussing adding what they called a salamander missile to the game, which would follow the curvature of terrain, making it difficult to evade or destroy. Now, David Jones, the, one of the company's founders, was, uh, was trying to figure out the best way to implement such a design. Well, Russell K. had an idea, and he was so in love with Mike Daly's little 8x8 guys, which he had since dubbed Lemmings, that uh, he used them in a demo to show Dave how to code up his salamander missiles. The demo showed the side view of a cave with three different undulating levels of terrain with the little blue-haired Lemmings walking across uh, following the terrain the whole way. Dave liked the demo, but he decided against the Salamander missiles, but the, you know, the Lemmings demo was born. They showed this demo to, uh, to their preferred publisher, Cygnosis, and they loved it. After some initial revisions to, uh, to the colors of the Lemmings to make their, you know, their, hair, their green hair blue, or to, sorry, not to make their green hair blue, to make their blue hair green and uh, to change their outfits to the color blue, and blah, 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 to uh, basically revise them to what we see in the final game, development really began. When I say development really began, the most challenging part of the game was effectively already done. Uh, The lemmings walked across whatever terrain they were dropped onto. The art was being done, and the different tile sets were soon integrated into a level editor that was built to resemble the Deluxe Paint interface, and uh, Deluxe Paint was an application that anyone who did pixel art on the Amiga was intimately familiar with. Levels were created mainly by Mike Daly, Scott Johnston, and Gary Timmons, though Dave Jones did sneak a few in. Uh, According to Daly, everyone involved in designing levels had a ton of fun doing it. They all kept trying to one-up each other, coming up with more and more fiendish designs. If you pay attention, you can usually tell which developer created which level. Gary's were very minimal, to the point where they were really just a couple of blocks with a door, and uh, you you just had to figure out how to get from block to block. Uh, Scott and Mike's looked more like pictures, but Scott's tended to be laid out in a more compact manner. Even the naming of the levels depended on who designed it. 
Mike liked to give hints in his level names, like the first level, just dig. Uh, Gary used to make references, you know, some stuff to Monty Python, Black Adder, things like that. Uh, and Scott just tended to make up interesting sounding names based really on, uh, on nothing. Mike Daly was also in charge of the custom levels. Uh, they grabbed resources from some of their previous games like Menace um, and, and they went looking for more. Psygnosis gave the Lemmings team resources from some of their other games to add more variety to these special levels. So, you know, there really was quite a variety of, uh, of level design in Lemmings. So with this huge glut of levels where the designers had been trying to one-up each other, they noticed a problem. There was this huge competition of, well, I made this level and it's like fiendish this way. And then someone else would come back and say, well, I made one that's even worse than yours. And it would just, they'd just keep upping the ante on, on level difficulty. And of course, this led to an issue where they had a huge number of incredibly challenging levels, but almost no simple puzzles. So the team set out to make some easier puzzles and set a reasonable learning curve for the game. It was very important to them that while this game should be very challenging, it should also be approachable. The first group of levels were made very, very easy, usually only focusing on one or two concepts at once. In fact, the first level that I covered in the gameplay section is so straightforward that apparently a four-year-old solved it without any assistance. Around the same time, the team was playing games like Populous and Stunt Car Racer in the office. These games supported multiplayer over null modem cables. Now, I think I may have mentioned it once before, but uh, it's been a while. So a null modem was basically an RS-232 serial cable connected to a serial port on, uh, of a separate computer on either end, which allowed those two computers to communicate given the proper client. Now, originally, these RS-232 cables were designed to connect teleprinters to modems so that they could communicate over phone lines. It was found, though, that if you wanted to connect two printers directly to each other, that also worked. Uh, this concept was ported to PCs, and null modem connections became very po a very popular method of data transfer between computers in the late 80s and early 90s using programs like Laplink. Uh, it was also used as a means of network gameplay by games that supported the point-to-point -point protocol. So Mike Daly actually developed a null modem routine for Lemmings to the point where he was able to get uh, a mouse cursor on uh, the remote computer moving at the same time as the cursor on his computer. But, uh, you know, he was since he was sure that because they've been playing so much multiplayer that uh, that the Lemmings, the guys in charge of Lemmings, basically, you know, his bosses would uh, would want multiplayer. So Dave Jones did want multiplayer, but he figured that since they were developing primarily for the Amiga and the Amiga supported dual mice, which uh, basically meant one mouse plugged into the serial port and another mouse plugged into the joystick port, that uh, doing it via split screen would be would be much easier and much more usable and be much easier to actually for for players to actually use than uh, than setting up two amigas with a null modem and blah 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 now this made sense on the amiga but it made a lot less sense on the other platforms the atari st's two-player mode had one player on the mouse and the other using a combination of joystick and keyboard. Now, in my mind, the mouse player would definitely have an advantage in that situation, unless you only ever played with the, the, uh, the joystick and keyboard. Uh, the PC had a lot of trouble handling dual mice and just dual controls in general, at least at that time, so the two-player option was totally dropped from that release. So Lemmings released on Valentine's Day 1991 to huge success. The Amiga version sold over 55,000 copies its first day, topping any of DMA or Psygnosis' previous games. 
One review said that the game was second only to Tetris in its addictiveness. You know, of course, being that this was the early 90s, uh, a smaller group of levels were released via shareware as well, and I believe this is how I got my hands on the game initially. Now, despite all the success, one complaint that was received was regarding the level entitled 666. Uh, this level was done using the hellish-looking tile set and consisted of three sixes made of earth with the trapdoor in, uh, in kind of the circular part of the first six and the exit in the circular part of the last six. Uh, of course, the complaint was that uh, it was making hell fun. It was making people not care about the devil and blah, 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 blah. Uh, it turned out this was one of Daly's levels. He tells a story that uh, he what he was really trying to do initially was to make a level with all fives in it. He was able to get 55 of each skill, 55 seconds on the timer, but uh, given the number of lemmings per level, they couldn't get the allowable completion rate percentage to 55%. The closest they could do was 66%. He thought that, okay, well, if I can't do 55% and I'm using the hell tile set, why not just make it 666 instead? He never thought it would cause a controversy, but wow, it sure did. Obviously, with the success of the original game, sequels were soon in the works. Uh, especially given that developing levels for this game was so quick and easy that uh, you know later that same year in 1991, Oh No, More Lemmings was released. This was effectively an expansion to the original game, which, uh, which initially required the original game disc to run, though it could eventually be bought in a standalone version as well. Oh No offered 100 new single-player levels and 6 new music tracks. It was so common to see this and the original game packaged together that it commonly became known as the Lemmings Data Disc, whereas the original Lemmings Disc was known as the Game Disc. Uh, these levels also introduced some interesting concepts. For example, in the level entitled Introducing Super Lemming, your goal is to protect one single lemming whose speed constantly increases throughout the level. The 100 levels were split into difficulty levels of Tame, Crazy, Wild, Wicked, and Havoc. The Amiga version also shipped with 10 new two-player levels. Christmas Lemmings were sets of small four-level demos with a winter and Christmas theme. Uh, the sets were released in 1991 and 1992. In 1993, around Christmas, an expanded Christmas Lemmings with 16 levels were sold in stores. Uh, the same was done in Christmas of 94, but also included the 93 release for free. 1993 brought us a true sequel, Lemmings 2 The Tribes. Now, one major difference you'll notice right away between this game and the first was that uh, the tribes actually had a rudimentary story. It goes that once upon a time, the 12 Lemming tribes of Lemming Island lived happily and peacefully. However, an ancient prophecy foretells a great darkness soon to consume the land. This prophecy told that the only way the Lemmings could survive was by evacuating their island using the power of the Lemming Talisman. Now, this talisman consisted of 12 pieces, one owned by each tribe. With the help of the guide that has helped them before, which is basically a reference to you in the previous game, so that whole initial conceit of you being a smarter lemming is, uh, is totally dropped, and again, you're the guide, some benevolent lemming god. Uh, so with, with your help, all lemmings must now reach the center point of their island in order to escape their doom. So Lemmings 2 is still 120 levels, but uh, every 10 levels belongs to a different tribe. Lemmings 2 features a total of 51 different skills versus the 8 in the original, but no more than 8 skills are available during any one level. Also, 
within each tribe's levels, there is continuity. So you only ever have to get one lemming through the exit to succeed at a level. But the number of lemmings you save in one level is the number of lemmings you begin with in the next, since each tribe is making a journey to the center of the island. Uh, this can lead to dead ends, where you come to a level with less lemmings than it takes to complete it. So say, in one level, you need to get through one lemming, you have two lemmings, and you need two blockers to actually complete the level, well, you've destroyed your only two remaining lemmings, and you're done. Now, there are quite a few other differences between the first and second game, and frankly, they all build on the original core gameplay. Lemmings 2 is a great sequel, though it didn't really garner the huge success of the original game. 1994 saw the release of A New World of Lemmings. Not World of Warcraft, but A New World of Lemmings. <laughs> this game continued where Lemmings 2 left off. Uh, New World of Lemmings follows uh, three of the 12 tribes in their adventures after escaping on the Ark in Lemmings 2. So we're looking at the Classic Tribe, the Shadow Tribe, and the Egyptian Tribe. The game had 90 levels, so 30 for each tribe, and it maintained the continuity between levels like in the last game. So if you finished with 20 lemmings, you started with 20 lemmings. You finished with 12, you start with 12 in the next level for each section. The big change, though, in a new world was graphics. The traditional 8x8 lemming sprite was increased in size to create a more detailed and higher-res look. In addition, the concept of enemies was introduced. Also, each level only had five permanently available skills walker, blocker, jumper, and uh, the then new concepts of using or dropping an item. Items are how the other skills in the game are acquired. Lemmings pick up item blocks on the map and can then use that skill that is associated with that item block. So if you picked up an item block for a miner, then you could become a miner. A New World of Lemmings released to reasonable success, but the popularity of the franchise continued to decline. Apparently, there were plans to do three more games in the vein of, uh, of A New World, which would follow the nine other tribes, but that isn't what happened. What did happen was DMA Design sold the rights of Lemmings to Cygnosis. Cygnosis then engaged Clockwork Games to build 3D Lemmings, which released in 1995. This game dropped all the narrative and more advanced gameplay features of the previous games in favor of, wait for it, 3D! Here, of course, uh, the additional challenge was directing the lemmings and your camera in three directions. Uh, there was also a virtual lemming mode where, uh, where you could view the action from the point of view of an individual lemming. This was needed in some levels to get your view to a different area as your camera did not actually clip through the environment. It had to go through kind of all the obstacles as well, which, uh, which was an additional challenge. Um, I, I think I played this game. I can't quite remember. I might have gotten the demo off of a BBS or something at some point. And uh, frankly, I don't remember it being a ton of fun. It was kind of clunky as, as most very early 3D games were. So finally, we take a five-year break. Come the year 2000, Lemmings Revolution was released by Cygnosis and developed by Take-Two Interactive. Now, this game is interesting. Story-wise, we've returned to kind of the middle games of the series with a cursory plot. Uh, the storyline of Lemming's Revolution revolves around weasel characters that once entertained themselves by watching the old adventures of the Lemmings. Wanting more, they've captured the Lemmings and created new puzzles and mazes so that they can watch the Lemmings as they suffer trying to survive the puzzles. So the main change from the previous games is that each level is actually designed around a rotating cylinder. 
So while the game is in fact 3D, it really plays much more like the original 2D games since your camera is set at a fixed point and you rotate the cylinder to, instead of basically scrolling along a flat uh, map like you would in the older games, here you're rotating through a circular map. The weasels enter the game as enemies and the original eight jobs from the first game are available in addition to cool environmental objects like jump pads, anti-gravity, and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, the game contains 102 levels, which uh, which you can play via a branching structure. So each level you complete opens up uh, access to two more levels that are a little harder than your previous level. Lemmings Revolution released to average to you know with average to good reviews and and is still actually a pretty fun game today. Two spin-off games, the action-oriented Lemmings Paintball and the 2D platformer The Adventures of Lomax also exist in the Lemmings universe. So there weren't just direct sequels; there were a couple of others. Uh, kind of tangentially related, still released by uh, Psygnosis. I was going to say Parallax, but that's a different game. That's a different company, Psygnosis. Uh, But sadly, as far as I could see, there isn't much new Lemmings on the horizon. It looks like an iOS version was slated for release in 2010 or 2011, but Sony cease and desisted them. And, uh, you know, that game ended up being reworked into a game called Caveman, which is available on the iOS app store. Uh, it's most definitely Lemmings-like in its gameplay. I believe on the U.S. store it has four-star review. Um, basically, all they did was took the exact gameplay they intended to do with the Lemmings remake and changed the art to Cavemen. So despite Sony's crushing of Lemmings sequels, it has been officially ported, spun off, cloned, and copied so much that it's hard to find a strategy or puzzle game that doesn't take some idea from it. I remember playing a game called Humans, which uh, had you directing prehistoric humans around the map and uh, in almost the same la- manner as Lemmings. Uh, Lemmings really introduced the concept of, uh, of indirect control to gaming. So you're never really controlling the Lemmings directly. You're not telling them to walk over here or do this thing. You're kind of suggesting to them what to do and uh, either that or you're affecting the environment around them to some result. There was, there was some of this when I talked uh, about Dungeon Keeper as well you never you sort of directed your minions around but it was more of a suggestion and they kind of just worked with their ai same thing with lemmings the lemmings are going to walk back and forth you can give them a job and they'll do it but the result of that is not something that you directly control heck lem edit the level editor for the original game is still available and uh, and i believe people are actually still uh, still building levels with it hi i'm francisco ruiz And together with my good friend Paul Powers and a rotating guest host, we make up the Retro Rewind podcast. Twice a month, we pick a movie or video game from 15 or more years ago and discuss whether it is still worth revisiting today. So if you've thought about rewatching The Rocketeer, playing back through Mega Man X, or you're just a child of the 70s and 80s like us, you should check us out for laughs, for nostalgia, and definitely for our take on what's a classic and what's second class. Find us at RetroRewindPodcast.com, where you can subscribe on iTunes, RSS, and more. So, where can you get Lemmings today? Well, not many places, at least in the way I like to get games. Uh, You can play the original online in your browser. Uh, One place is uh, elysium.nu slash scripts slash lemmings. That's a DHTML version or dynamic HTML. Uh, I'll link that in the show notes. And, uh, you know, you can get Flash versions in a few other places and things like that. You can get box copies of Lemmings Revolution. I think, I'm not sure if you can get them new, but you can definitely uh, find them from a lot of retailers on on Amazon. And, uh, 
you know, the older PC versions are harder to find, but uh, Lemmings has been ported everywhere. I know for a fact there's a PS3 version, which I think you can get uh, online. I don't think it's it's a disc or anything like that. And there's definitely a Vita version. As far as I can see, there was nothing on uh, on Xbox 360 or current Nintendo consoles. It was released on uh, on NES and SNES if you still have those lying around, but um, but sadly nothing in uh, on modern. It seems like this would be this would be an ideal uh, Wii or Wii U virtual console game, but uh, oh well, what are you gonna do? You are So before we get to the end, a few emails this week. First, from Father Beast. He writes, Hello, Father Beast again. As a surprise, I don't actually recall where I first got Lemmings. Perhaps it was at a thrift store. I got a lot of games at thrift stores back then. Or maybe it was, uh, or maybe at first was a demo on some game collection CD I got for Christmas or something. Anyway, wherever it came from, my family and I sure had a lot of fun and frustration trying to keep these little plotters from killing themselves en masse. We later picked up, oh no, more Lemmings and Lemmings Tribes, but somehow never got Lemmings Paintball. These were all a lot of fun, but were never classified among the greatest of games. Just cute little time wasters. When Lemmings Revolution came out, the reviews were lukewarm, so I waited until it came down to about $10 to buy it. On installing it, I discovered it was pretty much the same. Cute little time waster, but not among the greats. For what it's worth, RGB Classic Games at uh, ClassicDOSGames.com has the demo of Lemmings and a couple of other variants, including some freeware versions. You could download them to use with your DOS box or play them online using their emulator. Anyway, love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Father Beast. Um, and you know, that that's kind of how Lemmings, I don't know if that was the intention of, of to make Lemmings kind of like this fun little time waster game, you know, something you don't really have to at least in earlier levels, you don't have to think too hard about. And, you know, if um, if tablets were around, this is really like, Lemmings, to me, is a mobile game that came out before mobile devices really existed. You know, th- this is, Lemmings is a bathroom game. It's, it is that very much. This isn't something you're going to sit down with the intention of, you know, maybe you will play it for hours at a time just out of, out of one more level or out of frustration or something like that. But, um, you know, this is really a great game where you can sit down, blow through a level real quick. And, you know, if you want to keep going, you keep going. If not, you know, it's there, there's no storyline. There's no huge progression. There's no there's nothing that needs to keep you there except for the fact that it's fun. So next, an email from Elima. She writes, hello, Joe and fellow blockers. Lemmings was another of my summer games, a game that was installed on my grandparents' computer and that my cousin's sister and I would play. Not unlike Monkey Island 2, we would work together to figure out how to complete a level. When the others were stumped, one of us would always think of something to get us going again. Interestingly enough, I don't recall us ever using the two-player mode, but the single-player campaign exclusively. Of course, one of our favorite actions was nuking all the lemmings when we got stuck. Those poor, poor lemmings. We sent them plummeting to their splattering deaths off stairs into acid, chasms, and who knows what else. They sure could take a lot of punishment. And yet, they always trudged on, unthinking, unwavering. How could we not admire such blind dedication? I also have strong memories of the music, as it had a few rearrangements of classical music we were familiar with, Tchaikovsky, Mozart, and Chopin. But also the traditional, she'll be coming around the mountain, and how much is that doggy in the window? The doggy in the window was particularly popular with us, as a grand, as uh, my grandparents had a music box of it, and it's a tune we'd wantonly sing to the, at the top of our lungs. 
Ultimately, I never played any of the sequels. Maybe Christmas Lemmings, but my memory's fuzzy. But the first installment is definitely a game that left its mark upon me. A great game with many fond memories tied to it. Thanks for all the great work, Joe. Keep it up. I look forward to each episode of UMB Cast. Well, thank you, Emily. And um, but yeah, and and you know, it's it's kind of the same uh, as as I said with with Father Beast's comment. I guess that's the thing. Like this is one of those games where. And like a lot of games, even games that are single player, maybe it had the dual player mode, maybe it didn't. But a lot of these games, you know, you could play with more than one person, even though there was only one person touching the controls. You know, it was kind of two or three heads are better than one. And, you know, screwing up when there's other people around tends to be a lot more fun. It tends to be funnier than uh, than than doing things wrong on your own, where maybe you'll just kind of beat yourself up and get frustrated if you're there with friends or family. And something goes wrong, you all laugh about it, and you know maybe you, j- you jab each other a little bit, and uh, and that's it. You know, gaming, even if it's not meant to be a multiplayer social experience, can very much be that way. So finally, we have a voicemail from Paul. So take it away, Paul. Hi, Joe. This is Paul. I just want to leave you an audio comment about Lemming. A little late, but I think the podcast is running a little late too, so uh, I hope it's all right. I remember... Lemmings from a friend who got an Amiga 500. It came packaged in. He was one of the only people I knew with an Amiga. Everyone else still had C64s or other computers. And he would have people around his house and we would eventually take turns to play Lemmings. And it was the first game I can remember actually playing with a mouse. It was a tough game. I, I never completed any of them. Once I got an Amiga of my own, I bought all of the ones that are available for it and later on when I got a PC I I might have even repurchased it for PC so yeah I bought the Oh No More Lemmings and uh, Lemmings 2 Tribes I never did the 3D Lemmings uh, much like 3D Worms they never really appealed to me uh, I, I think Psychnosis was a, a great software house and under Stoney's leadership they went on to blow people's minds with Wipeout I remember seeing that for the first time wow I guess that's a little bit beyond the podcast. Um, also, a little bit beyond the podcast, but sci-fi fans, if you're interested in Psygnosis' other works, you should look up Walker. It's difficult, but a blast. Uh, anyway, I enjoy listening to this podcast, and I, I really look forward to seeing what you've unearthed about Lemmings and Psygnosis. Cheers, Joe. Well, thanks, Paul. And I'm actually really glad that you mentioned Walker. I know I talked about it a little bit in the dev story. And, you know, I didn't realize because, frankly, I had never heard of Walker. And uh, I didn't realize that it it basically caused the inception of, of Lemmings to to occur. So, uh, you know, that is a game that uh, if you want to go go and check it out, uh, I think Paul attached a gameplay video. I, I looked at another one myself on on YouTube and uh, it, it looks a little kludgy from what I could see. It looked a little difficult and uh, hard to control, but uh, but definitely an interesting game. Definitely a piece of Lemmings history if, uh, if you are at all interested in that kind of thing. Okay, so big question of the show. Does Lemmings hold up today? Well, it sure does. I, I actually find it interesting. I think I, I mentioned this kind of in passing in a little bit, but uh, playing the original game really makes me wish for a true mobile version of Lemmings. It is so perfectly suited to a touch interface, it makes me ill. 
uh, you know, even a straight port of the first game would be awesome. It has that pixel art look that uh, that was the best they could do at the time. But that look has become so de rigueur of late that uh, that I think even kids used to AAA, you know, Call of Duty graphics and gameplay would have no complaints about playing Lemmings today on on their iPad, on their Nexus, on their whatever tab you want to have, or even on a phone. Uh, in fact, I doubt they'd even realize that they were playing a 20 plus year old game. The gameplay has endured and, you know, that's a testament to its simplicity and its design. Sure, sometimes we want deep and complex gameplay. For that, we have things like Crusader Kings 2. Uh, other times, we just want to get a lemming across a screen or maybe we just want to blow it up. If you have the opportunity, play Lemmings. It's as fun today as it was in 1991. You're not gonna you're not gonna have the most epic gaming experience. You're not gonna be blown away by the story or the graphics, but you're just gonna have a lot of fun. So before we close out the show, a little reminder: I'm still taking entries for the Duke 3D giveaway. Uh, I think going forward, I'm gonna do these on Twitter and on the Facebook group. I don't know about if doing them on a show is the best way to go about it. If you guys have other ideas, uh, you know, I got I got quite a library of stuff, some newer stuff, some older stuff to give away. Uh, I'll be pulling a winner for this one on the next show and uh, and starting another giveaway then. Uh, and I may do something a little bit newer this time around. So if you still want Duke 3D. Uh, email podcast at umbcast.com with the subject Duke 3D and preferably your Steam handle if you're not already friends with me or if you want to friend me on Steam, uh, BillyBob476. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, we got quite a few entries already, but uh, you know, the more the merrier. And um, hey, it's a free game. And, uh, and Duke 3D, if you go back to that episode, is, uh, is, 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 is fun just to, to check out, at least for historical value. You are so that is that for another week thanks to everyone who emailed in we got a lot of good comments this week from everyone about about lemmings and about other things so um you know i always 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 appreciate it when you guys uh participate i know it's uh it's tough in the summer when everyone's around doing stuff but god i've been busy enough this summer so uh you know greatly appreciated it uh it really keeps me going to, to keep doing the show and, uh, you know, aside from my fun of, of doing it and playing these old games. But anyways, next time, I'm going to push the bounds of the show a little bit by doing a series I never got a chance to play when it came out, Thief. So uh, as always, we're looking forward to that. As always, I'd like you to send email and audio comments to podcast at umbcast.com. Uh, thanks to Rick Moyer for his great audio work. You can find his stuff at moyermultimedia.com. Uh, check out the show notes at umbcast.com. Join the Facebook group facebook.com slash groups slash UMB cast, where you can come and argue whether or not uh, Dungeon Keeper is going to be good or bad. Uh, follow the show on Twitter at Facebook, or sorry, twitter.com slash UMB show. Me personally at twitter.com slash billybob476. Join the Steam community group at steamcommunity.com slash group slash UMB cast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or stream us live at Stitcher Radio. So that is that for another week. We'll see you next time for Thief here in the upper memory block. Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. 
That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join the unity.